some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton. Good morning. You are listening to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics and trash from a feminist perspective. I'm Tanya Ali. And I'm Katie Winton. Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land that we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history. We are back after a little break last week. I went to the Blue Mountains, <laughs> Mari saw the Book of Mormon and slept in, and Katie <laughs> is having a quarter-life crisis and went on a sneaky trip to Berlin to go day clubbing. Look, I've got no regrets. Um, I was definitely a peak burnout mode, uh, which was, yeah, good to take a little break and remember that, you know, the world is a bigger place than my bubble. Yeah. Um, but I'm really excited to hit the ground running with a huge show today. There are four uh, amazing guests coming in to chat to us. Yes, we're going to be joined by artists Jesse Mullins to talk about Series Concert, a new party and event series. Their first event, Talk, is happening on August 25 in Sydney with artworks from Sewa Atafua, Lauren Abernuri and live sets from Andy Garvey, P-Twigs and more. Uh, we're also going to be chatting to curator Kate Britton and artist Angela Tiatia for The Waves, which is a group exhibition bringing a diverse group of artists into a conversation about feminism, bodies, access to and occupation of space, collective action and gestures of intersectionality. So that's kicking off today at 3pm at Sullivan and Strumpf in Zetland. Before those two chats, though, we're going to be joined in just a minute by LGBTIQ rights campaigner Sally Rugg, who headed the Get Up campaign for same-sex marriage in Australia and is now the executive director of Change. She's leading a workshop called How to Be an Activist as part of Antidote at the Sydney Opera House on September 1st. It's been a really sad few days following Aretha Franklin passing away, um, but it has been really heartwarming to kind of like walk into all of my favourite cafes and bars and local spots and hear Aretha playing. I'm not usually one for a celebrity mourning moment, but I think, I don't know, I feel like... This is a big one. It is, absolutely. Aretha was known as the Queen of Soul and the term couldn't be more accurate. She's had such a monumental impact on music and it does feel like a really enormous loss. But as you said, Katie, it's really lovely seeing and hearing such beautiful, like, everyday tributes and celebrations of her. Yeah, and even just hearing her, like, playing in all of, like, yeah. Yeah, all of the spaces. All of the spaces. so nice. Um, This is Aretha Franklin's cover of the Rolling Stones song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. It's taken from her 1981 album, Love all the hurt away. You're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Oh, my God. 
Aretha Franklin for you there with You Can't Always Get What You Want. And you're listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. Sally Rugg is a prominent LGBTQI activist who was an instrumental figure in the successful campaign for same-sex marriage last year. Having spent five years at GetUp, she has recently been appointed as executive director of Change.org and she also won the 2018 Smack of the Year at the FBI Radio Smack Awards. Definitely the most important part of that. (laughs) (laughs) We are joined now in the studio by Sally who will be leading a workshop at Antidote where she'll be walking through the practical steps on how to enact real change in your community and create a social movement. Hello, Sally. Good morning, friends. Morning. Thanks so much for having me. It's funny that you bring up the Smack of the Year (laughs) Award because I didn't know that I was going to win that award. And, like, apparently everybody... I I thought there were going to be other nominees... There were ah. no other nominees. I'm just well. Brilliant. Lucky you had an excellent outfit. I did. Yeah, yes. I did like that outfit. Yes, so good. Interesting. Um, so the workshop for Antidote. Uh, mm. Who is it for, and what do you hope that attendees will get out of it? Well, so the workshop is called How to Be an Activist. And um, the way I mean, I'm kind of pulling together the final pieces for it this weekend, but. Um, what it's designed to do is talk about sort of activism in theory, but then also in practice. So I'm going to run some really practical um, parts of the workshop, like uh, how do you write a strategy? How do you um, map out your power landscape? Um, how do you write a killer press release? Like what what permissions do you need to get if you want to hold a protest? Um, and sort of feeding that all back into your big strategy. Um, and I hope that the people who come are people who are, you know, ranging between just starting out in activism and like thinking that they might want to get involved um, right the way through to people who uh, are maybe working on some things at the moment and um, want to come and hear from me and like it's going to be really interactive so I hope I hope other activists come and um, feed in if they want to. I really love that um, what you just mentioned about a strategy because I feel like so much of my activism is just like going really hard and then getting really burnt out and feeling really overwhelmed. So I feel like mm. having that longevity of how to kind of manage burnout as well sounds like a really useful tool. Totally. And I think with activism, and I am certainly guilty of this, I think in, in activism there's a common um, a common desire to launch straight into tactics. So a tactic is something like, well, let's make a video or let's hold a meeting or let's um, run a petition or whatever. So these are all tactical things. But really what you first need to do is think about your strategy because there's no point holding a rally which is a tactic if it's not actually contributing it's not actually furthering your strategy so yeah we're going to look at all that sort of all that sort of thing awesome um has activism always been a big part of your life yeah i think so like not i mean obviously i wasn't a full-time campaigner when I was in school or anything like that. <laughs> but um, one of my first sort of formative memories is when I was a little kid in primary school. I went to um, school in uh, Fremantle in Western Australia. Um, and the state government wanted to build this giant road called the Bypass. I don't know why it was called that. It was just called the Bypass. <laughs> um, and it was going to smash through our primary school. And so the local school community, um, I mean, I was like five or something, right? So, I mean, I didn't really lead this campaign. But I remember like the parents, <laughs> in the school community um, banding together to try and stop this road from being built um, and, and it didn't happen. So, the, you know, the school is still there. There is no big road. Um, maybe the road was important. I don't know. I was five. <laughs> <laughs> we saved the school. I, like, I really like the thought of your like five-year-old self leading this mm. <laughs> protest. Um, yeah, I guess touching on that and uh, kind of going back to strategies, um, has your have your views on different strategies changed throughout your career or throughout your kind of time on the front lines of different campaigns? I don't know if they've changed, but I think they've certainly um, been more refined. Like I think, I mean, I don't want to get too deep into campaign theory here, but like <laughs> there are some sort of tactics, I suppose, like a rally or something, and there would be an argument, say, like, oh, I mean, this this march down the street isn't necessarily going to change the mind of the prime minister or whatever so that you know they there can be you can go too far into being like is this is this so strategic that it's worth doing and i think there's also arguments for being like there there are some parts of activism's activism like a rally like a vigil like a feel-good video or whatever um that doesn't necessarily contribute to winning the campaign but can kind of uh, give your base, give the supporters a little bit of like nourishment and energy and fire them up. So th- that sort of like nuance, to- toggling between like, I- is this really impactful or like um, w- in campaign you say, does it 
build power or does it show power? And so sort of like toggling between that, is there something that's going to build power or something that's showing power? What's the uh, main difference between those two things? So showing power is how you would um, sort of exert influence and, and have impact on your campaign. So you might show power by um, organising a thousand people in your community to write a submission to a certain Senate inquiry or whatever. So like that is showing power. You might build power by having a community movie night and inviting people who are interested and building those friendships and um, reinvigorating the, the people who really care about an issue. So th- that would be building power. Both very important. Both very important. Yeah, yeah, truly. That's so interesting. I've like never really thought about it like that, but it's very... It's great to have terms for both of those things because, yeah, they are both so important. Mm. Um, and that kind of brings us to your involvement in the Get Up campaign for same-sex marriage in Australia. You were hugely instrumental in the campaign's success and you were kind of on the front line the whole time. Um, <laughs> can you talk us through that time in your life? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a really kind thing to say. I think I always... Whenever I hear people say, like, oh, you are so instrumental, like, that is a really nice thing to hear, but also... There was just so many people working for such a long... Like, I worked on the campaign for about five years. There are some people who worked on the campaign for 13 years um, who weren't in full-time... You know, like, I was paid for my work to do it. So, that yeah, just wanted to acknowledge all the people who sometimes don't get that accolade. But, the, I mean, the, that period of my life, those five years... I'm actually writing a book about it, so you can all buy it and read it. Um, <laughs> it was sort of like... Working on the campaign was the most joyous and most um, like destroying time in my life really like it was I I really feel like um, I I was privileged enough to see the best and the worst in this country and also the best and the worst in parliament Um, I think I will remain bitter and twisted about the fact that parliament didn't just pass this bill I mean really as early as 2012 under Julia Gillard and if not then we had another moment in 2015 Um, the, the fact that this reform enjoyed majority public support, majority support in both houses of parliament, um, just like overwhelming support. There's 20 pieces of legislation, 22 pieces of legislation that went to parliament, and yet our political system could not deliver this reform. Like that is cooked. And um, so even though we got there in the end, I think the whole process. The, the delay, the process of doing a postal survey, um, that, that farcical, unbinding, voluntary survey, that, that whole um, 13 years in total, I think, really needs to be like held to account almost. And I, I think it is such an example of how our parliamentary systems are broken um, and how they sort of like cave and quiver under vested interests um, and we need we, we, I, yeah I feel like with the marriage equality campaign we cannot rewrite history and we cannot um, pretend that we got here um, through any other way than the way we did because otherwise we don't hold our parliament to account. Um, going back to the workshop mm. uh, <laughs> I, f- I feel like um, something that I always think about in terms of activism too is different ways that you can kind of uh, contribute to things that you care about. Um, I'm wondering if there will be like a combination of strategies for people who like maybe get overwhelmed in crowds or, you know, like um, mm. kind of will you touch on how to contribute in a, in a kind of variety of ways or is it more kind of campaigning activism where you're, you know, marching and very much a part of a movement. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And you're so right, like activism comes in so many different shapes. You can be an activist uh, with how you use your money, like not only with like where you donate to, but also where you spend your money um, and who you divest from. So like a couple of years ago, there was a huge movement uh, led by sort of the environment movement in Australia, getting the big banks to pull out of funding the Adani coal mine. And that was really spurred on by tens of thousands of people like cancelling their bank accounts and saying, no, we're, we're divesting from you. We're going to pull our money somewhere else. So where you put your money is really um, powerful. How you use your voice. So um, whether that is posting on social media, um, 
calling your local MP um, or having conversations one-to-one with your friends about really important things like, um, hey, actually, like, I think that joke is quite racist. Can you can you explain to me why mm. that joke is funny? You know, little things like that. Um, and, and your time as well. And your, I think your time can look like marching in the street, but it can also look like um, volunteering your service to a little organisation or, um, you know, spending time with... Uh, members of our community who are isolated or lonely or or your time can even look like hey I'm going to do some data entry for you know the community legal service that needs a hand you know like there's so many different Mm. ways that we can contribute And, and the reason we do activism well for me the reason I do activism is because I really believe that we can um, we can create the society we want to live in. Like the, the the society that treats everybody equally and that celebrates difference and where everybody is you know fed and clothed and sheltered. Like that is totally up for grabs. We can grab that, but we have to we have to imagine it and we have to work for it. And I, I think I think that's why I do activism. Quite aptly, we've got a text in on the text line from an anonymous texter who says, Sally Rugg is my queen. Sally Rugg for Prime Minister. Uh, (laughs) I feel like... I I think, I mean, let's talk about the Republic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. We've got an announcement. (laughs) I feel like that's a really um, apt text to uh, wrap up the interview on. Sally, thank you so much for coming to talk to us. Can I quickly plug the festival? Yeah, of course. So this workshop is called How to Be an Activist. It's at the Antidote Festival, which is at the Sydney Opera house at the beginning of September um it's like a it's a whole weekend and the the weekend brings together a whole bunch of global uh and and uh, domestic speakers to talk about um ideas and action and change making um on a whole bunch of issues from politics religion climate change identity all the rest of it I'm going to be there Chelsea Manning's going to be there Ronan Farrow um Tanisi Coates it's going to be amazing look it up it's the first weekend of September. That's correct. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. Uh, this is Mitski with Why Didn't You Stop Me? Stick around for our chat with Kate Britton and Angela Tiatia right after this.
latest track phase three and you're listening to agenda on fbi radio curated by kate Britton. the waves is a group exhibition opening at 3 p.m today at sns in sydney uh it features artists like angela tiatia oni blue christine dean thea perkins katie b Plummer, justine yusuf and Layla el reyes we're joined in the studio now by curator kate Britton and artist angela tiatia welcome to you both thank hey. you hi thanks for having us the waves borrows its title from virginia wolf's novel of the same name. Kate, how else does the exhibition draw from the novel? Um, well, I mean, it's uh, actually, it's probably one of Wolf's lesser known novels, I guess, in many ways, but um, it's a great one. So it's sort of this multivalent narrative. So each chapter or each segment is narrated by a different character and it kind of weaves them all together to form this kind of whole, you know, um, journey really I guess through childhood and kind of into old age and it's got this like melancholic sort of you know aging through it I guess across these many voices um and so I suppose what I loved about the opportunity to do this show um which is curated largely from the Sullivan and Strump stockroom um as well as the kind of some artists that I've invited in um is that it is about bringing together these like really diverse voices and artists um across generations as well there's some really established artists and some really young artists. Um, so I guess, yeah, this sort of weaving of voices and narratives. Have you noticed, like, commonalities across those works from, you know, over such a period of time? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think what I was looking for, um, you know, the waves also obviously kind of is a riff on the idea of feminism and the waves of feminism. And I think um, the concerns of those different kind of periods of feminism really come through to me um, across the generations. It's not like it's a kind of chronological narrative. Um, but, you know, there's like kind of a lot of engagement within the work of um, the women and kind of non-binary artists in the show, I think, that's about bodies and is about kind of 
what are traditionally considered women's spaces, you know, domestic spaces and kind of familial relationships and collaborative kind of practices. And then a kind of move into a more, I suppose, um, aggressive and intersectional, um, not that those are the same thing, but the two different <laughs> sort of things, politics, I think, in a lot of work, um, you know, like Angela's and like Oni's and some of the kind of younger artists that I've involved in the show. Angela, can you tell us a little bit about your work for the show? It's a moving image work called Lick, and it's about six minutes long, and I filmed it in Tuvalu in 2015, and I did a whole new body of works in that year based around climate change in the Pacific. So that work has a particular concern with climate change, but I really wanted it to be um, centred on the body, the female body, and it's called Lick because I just really enjoyed like the almost like the ways we're licking my body. So, yeah, and then just the, I really like the way that the 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 body intersects the water and it's quite an unusual <coughs> position and pose that the body is put in, so yeah. Does yes. it kind of, sorry. Oh, can. no, I was just going to say, I love it. You know, you're sort of, sort of pushing through these waves, you know, yeah. and it's it's somehow very still, you know, your body, I think, you know, as you're sort of forcing your way through. It's, yeah. it's a really lovely image yeah and I I was I had my feet perched on this rock um and I just really wanted to hold that position but just the the force of the waves just pushed me off and then the work ends with me just um being pushed off and being pushed away from the lens by the waves Mm. so yeah I feel like a lot of your work is about the power dynamics or about power dynamics like the one where you kind of throw you and James are throwing each other Oh, I love that work so much. So this sounds like a really beautiful kind of um, progression between that and like the power dynamics between humanity and... The environment. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. That's what I read in it too, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Um, In her 2016 article, An Affinity of Hammers, Sarah Ahmed critiques the claim that transphobia is being misused as a way of censoring critical feminist speech um, and suggests that transphobia works as a system in which trans people experience a hammering or constant chipping away at their existence by the demand to provide evidence of their existence. Um, Can you speak to the influence of her essay on the waves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, Ahmed's writing, you know, is kind of influential, I think, for a lot of people in a lot of ways. Um, And I mean, as someone that is not a trans person, you know, I kind of read that article as I suppose a, a, a way to try and experience an affinity with <laughs> that constant chipping away, you know, and I think that that is something um, that is felt very really by that community, and you know, the idea of sort of creating an affinity, I suppose, um, and sort of creating a kind of intersectional platform where you're able to sort of step back and appreciate the experience of other people like that, and attempt to kind of join in in a in a small way in sort of some kind of pushing back. Um, collectively, I guess. Can you talk to us about some of the other works in the show? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's so many, I I don't really know where to start. Um, But I guess it it was really, um, I very rarely curated things out of a stockroom or out of a collection in in that way. Um, And so that was a kind of quite an interesting experience and quite um, cool, you know, for example, so the work um, I'm including of Lindy Lee's, I think everyone's really familiar with her beautiful kind of works on paper and she has those amazing sort of sculptural works. But the work that I've hung um, in the waves is uh, older work. Um, I think it's from about 2004. I should I should know that. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, it, it's quite different from the work you've probably used to seeing of her. So it features her mother, who she's got this, you know, incredible relationship with. Her mother was like a really strong, amazing woman. And there's, you know, a lot of kind of stories for her that have influenced the way she's, you know, evolved her practice as well. Um, and these really kind of bold colours. Um, I'm also was really happy uh, to invite some other artists that aren't with Sullivan and Strumpf um, into the show just to kind of broaden and bring some new kind of work in there. So um, Only Blue um, is I'm showing a series of their ceramics, which are really amazing. They're these sort of um, gnarly forms that are kind of really organic and kind of hunched over in a way um, with these incredible glazes. And they were saying that the kind of forms of the vessels, you know, really... Um, they have an affinity to their own body, which is, you know, kind of lives with chronic pain. And um, they do, they've done this beautiful shibari rope bondage around the vessels. Um, yeah, Oni is a content contributor for Agenda oh, and fantastic. has done a bunch of really amazing um, interviews with, uh, yeah, so yeah. many great people. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful work, um, you know, and... Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, Thea Perkins has done this beautiful sort of uh, watercolour painting series of portraits from um, her family and from her kind of archives. And I really love it. I was chatting with her and she's like, you know, we got told in art school, like, you just can't really do family portraiture. Like, it's really naff, you know. Um, and so I guess that idea of her being like, well, actually, in some cases, it's a real act of kind of power and, you know, it's a real you know, political statement to be drawing, you know, or painting your family. Mm. Um, Angela, I feel like you are one of those artists that you're just so humble about everything that you're doing. And I feel like I just see all of these things pop up all the time where I'm like, oh, Angela's in that show, doing this, <laughs> going overseas. Um, do you have anything coming up that you want to talk about or plug? Or Oh, I've got my solo exhibition with Sullivan Strump in February, March. So I'm really excited to... I just started work on that yesterday, started the research process, so I'm really excited to work on that and see what the outcome is, yeah. Can you give us any insights into the research or is it um, is it top secret until... I'm really looking at, I'm really fascinated by uh, selfie culture and, yeah, that idea of uh, narcissism and then linking it back to the uh, classical um, and old images of uh, of narcissists. Mm. Is it how you say it? Narcissus? Narcissus? Yeah, Narcissus. Or is that the perfume? I get confused between that and the perfume. (laughs) (laughs) Narcissus. I love that smell. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's all one and the same. (laughs) Um, But you get my drift. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm looking at that. And um, yeah, there's been like a real interest in The Fall, which is the work that um, I did with the Australian War Memorial last year. And so that's showing at the... At Sydney Contemporary, mm. wow. yeah, it's an amazing so, work. Yeah. What was what? Can you can you give us a an elevator pitch of the, the fall? Um. <laughs> <laughs> or is it too long to go into oh, the fall? <laughs> <laughs> the fall in society. <laughs> I guess that would be it. Great. <laughs> the Waves uh, opens today at 3 to 5 p.m. at Sullivan and Strumpf in Zetland. And, Kate, you're going to be doing a talk at 6 p.m. Could you tell us a little bit about um, that? 4 p.m. 4 p.m.? So, yeah, oh. mid-opening. Mid Oops, um, sorry. No, all good, all good. Um, don't come at 6. I think the gallery will be, I'll be at the <laughs> yeah. pub. Um, yeah, no, it'll be fun. I mean, you know, I think in the midst of an opening, you know, it'll be quite informal, but I'll basically just be sort of chatting a little bit about the show. Um uh, new content, I promise. <laughs> um, and Di Smith um, from Barbara Cleveland and Thea Perkins, who I've um, spoken about a bit, uh, will be joining me to kind of talk a bit about their work and, yeah, open it up a bit for people. Yeah, I feel like there's so much to talk about. There's yeah. So I many know. great artists. Yeah. yeah. Well, congratulations to you both. Thanks so much for coming in uh, to chat to us this morning. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Thanks, Agenda. Coming up on the show, we're chatting to artist Jesse Mullins about an exciting new concept of events called Series Concert and their first event, Talk, which is happening on August 25. To take you there, this is Terza with Go Now. Something's happened that I'm missing. And it's taking over me Cause you're not home so early Thinking you've been fucking with me
with Go Now. Uh, we're joined now by Jesse Mullins to chat about Series Concert, which is a new concept of parties and events, um, highly curated and responding with critical thinking across the arts and kind of against um, the institution. And their first party talk is happening on Saturday, 25th of August, which is next weekend, with live sets from P. Twigs, Andy Garvey, Sarah Atufua and more. Um, so firstly, Jesse, what led to the formation of Series Concert? Um, I guess there's a couple of things. Um, the first one was enjoying music and partying and everything that has to do with it. There's a couple of things into that, but I guess the first thing was enjoying that, but wanting a bit more substance with what we partake in. Like, um, I mean, there are a few things that are doing amazing things now, like Soft Centre in Sydney, but I guess, so I guess enjoying the music and stuff, but coming from an arts background, and yeah, just wanting more substance and critique of everything you're doing. Um, so, and the second one was looking at what we enjoy doing and but doing good with it. So I guess one of the main ethoses in my life is just what do you enjoy doing, but how can you do better for society with it? So I guess something interesting I found that DJ, I think it was DJ Sparkles once said, was that after religion, music is the next spiritual thing you have in your lives and it's like bringing people together and it often does that but they often try and incorporate the arts but it um so you've got two ways of viewing arts you've got it in like the gallery setting which is quite institutionalized it's quite you need a lot of art history knowledge to understand everything that's going on but then it becomes inaccessible to people. Um, so I guess it was looking at how I can um, involve art and music together. But yeah, and then also by doing good with it. So we, we've got a funding model that's based on trying to intentionally run at a profit. So like looking at being quite anti-capitalist, but looking how we can use capitalism for uh, the benefit. So like we're using our profits into microfinancing while still paying for our artists. It's interesting you're talking about the um, like correlation between arts and music and having both yeah. of those things in the same space because I feel like it's not often done super well. Like it's yeah. one of those things that everyone really tries to do, but yeah. it, it doesn't translate necessarily all of the time. Um, and I guess like I feel like music doesn't often isn't often critiqued as much or doesn't often kind of have the same level of critical thinking around it. So I feel like when it's done really well and it sounds like you have thought a lot about <laughs> how yeah. to kind of intersect those things and Soft Centre does it so well, yeah. I think, too. So it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, you did just touch on microfinancing there um, and it is a very interesting concept. I don't think I've really heard an event, you know, using profits in this way. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about microfinancing and how it ties into the ethos of a serious yeah. concert? Um, so microfinancing was a, um, a term coined by a Nobel Peace Prize winner, Muhammad Yunus. There's an interesting podcast on the ABC that he was on. Um, and it's basically looking at microloans to people in poverty, generally in third world countries. He started, He was from Bangladesh and he started a bank called Greenwich Bank and 90% of their loans go to women in poverty, but they're loans with no interest rates. And so they have workers working um, volunteers working to help state make these loans and look at everything and most people that apply for them 97% of the time the money would come back so it's basically like helping people help themselves rather than charities are amazing and can be amazing and like especially an immediate disaster relief but this is like I guess looking at more long-term solutions so like using the social enterprise model a bit awesome that makes awesome sense? Um, a bit more about that music and arts critique. Yeah, I think um, just it's because a lot of the time people that are running those events are from a music background. Sometimes they're from an arts background as well, but generally if it's from a music background and a lot of the audience, it's like they think about making it accessible and then by making it accessible they're just concentrating on the aesthetic, responding to the concept rather than 
the concept becoming accessible, if that makes sense. Um, and I think part of the importance there is like using language, but making the language accessible. And I think there are people out there that are wanting that, but um, yeah, and more than just that, the next banger, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And I think yeah. there's there is space for both of those things to exist. Yeah. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. Like I think you can have a really kind of uh, yeah freeing experience on a dance floor, but it doesn't have to be at the expense of not being critically engaged with the messaging behind the music, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds very interesting. I guess um, also in your own artistic practice, you use subversive techniques and humour to kind of question so- socio-political barriers um, and to further kind of understand and create empathy. Is serious concert an extension of your practice? I didn't originally see it as that, but I guess I think it could have <laughs> sort of could be. I think I sort of saw it as... I mean, probably subconsciously, it's a bit of an egotistical way to produce art because I came from, I grew up in a rural background and then I moved to Adelaide, then Hong Kong before Sydney. And I haven't really, I used to practice as an artist a lot and then I just suddenly stopped. And this is like, I guess, my way to produce my own work in my exhibition as well and be like, look, I'm here, but not wanting to do all the networking, I guess. So I'm funding it entirely by myself and everything. Um, but yeah. And you're performing next weekend? Yeah, I was so playing one of my first DJ sets opening, which is only eight to ten o'clock, so no one might be there anyway. And I'm also doing an artwork for it, so I'm doing a video piece in collaboration with Talk. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, as as we've mentioned, Talk is the first series concert event happening on August twenty fifth. Um, who else is performing on the night? Um, so the DJs we have, well, musicians we have is um, P Twigs, who's doing a mix of live and DJing. Her music's quite hard to describe. She um, she uses a lot of um, she uses a MIDI keyboard and control or controller, and it's quite a mix of like just beat-based music. There's some GABA influence. There's some trance influence. A lot of other things. She's amazing. And then we have. Um, Night Dyes from Melbourne, who just started their own night called Nonform, which is a night that um, I quite love. They're, they've got Muko Muko for the next night, which is an artist that's performing at... Soft Centre. Soft Centre, yeah. yeah. And then they've got... Um, they just did a show with Corin, who's a close friend of mine, one of my favourite artists. Um, but Night Dyes is doing... It does quite, like, sound-responsive tech music, but... It goes a bit more into looking at the, um, I guess, smaller noises in between. And then we have Andy Garbage at Close, who runs Pure Space. He's and like I don't think an FBI amazing. sweetheart. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think she's the perfect one, I thought, to close out at night because we'd know how to respond to all of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you're also collaborating with Toc, um, yeah. an artificial intelligent entity that only impactful artists can see. Can you talk to us about Toc? Um, so Toc, I, Toc is... I guess it's like a hyperextension of both the artist's ego, but also actioning against it. Um, it was born in a planet not too far away once, um, I guess, socialism started to override capitalism and within their own ideas of that, they had um, robotic workers replacing all the workers, so all the artists became everyone just started becoming artists and then I guess the ego started to override that and they were like what is good art so they decided to create this entity this alien cyborg AI entity that could help them learn that and by working alongside it they created it helped them to empathize more and understand that and so by its own evolving it decided to only become visualization I think the person who wrote my essay um Ella Parks Talbuck wrote this amazing thing about telepathy and reciprocal telepathy with TOC. So basically it only exists when you can visualise it as a good artist so it becomes an art form in itself, if that makes sense. I don't know, it's quite a complex idea. <laughs> Definitely. But also quite simple and fun. Yeah, yeah no, that's, that sounds incredible. <laughs> there's, there's some more information, or like that essay is available. Yeah. On the Facebook it's a, event, it's I available think? on the Facebook yeah. event. Yeah. So definitely, I, I read it a few days ago. It's really great. Oh, I, I can't wait yeah. to read it. <laughs> Absolutely. 
Um, can you tell us what else is coming up for series concert? Um, I have two ideas for the next two that I don't want to. You don't yeah, have to give it away. Yeah. No, I'll tell them. Um, the first <laughs> one was a we- um was inspired by Andy Warhol factories. So we used to have um in the seventies, I think it was. They had the factories, which was where all artists would congregate into parties and talk about ideas. And I read this interesting essay, and it was about how that's no longer happening because everyone's talking among the insta- internet. But it doesn't make not everyone's able to access the internet or talk on the internet, or has some people have dyslexia or other things or ESL as in English second language. So I think we, um, I think it also there's a lot to do. I mean, not everyone has the confidence to do a talk in person. But that's why I'm inspired by this idea of creating a, f- what, a factory, but for um, non-binary or femme people. So the only way you get an invite to this factory as a cis white man is if you get a plus one from anyone that's other identifying. And so I want to get um, synth workshops, artist talks, a bunch of other things, maybe a Muay Thai workshop by a non-binary yes. practitioner, oh, that would, yeah. all in a warehouse setting throughout the day. Um, and the second one I want to do is called Nyctophobia. And it's a response to um, fear of the dark created by, like, patriarchal or white or uh, any other... Um, and um, oh, What's the word? But created by them making us fear our own spaces. Like, in the 70s, we had Stonewall. Um, in the 20s, or Slavery in America, I'm not going to speak for others, but you had um, a lot of blues parties and stuff where people would congregate and then they slowly started to make us fear of afraid of the dark like to walk home in our own safety Mm. and everything so I guess the second one I want to do is a response to that and so there'll be a lot of silence throughout the night originally I was thinking of doing that outdoors somewhere but I'd have to look into that to be confirmed to be announced maybe yeah (laughs) uh Jesse thank you so much for chatting to us this morning uh is it a ticketed? Um, it is ticketed, ticketed for next ticket. Saturday night, yeah. um, and you can just he- head to the Facebook event if, to. If anyone can't afford any their tickets, they can feel free to message us as well, as well as if anyone has any um, accessibility issues. Perfect. But, yeah. Thank you so much. We're gonna uh, leave you with this track from Andy Garvey. It's called Club Music, um, in brackets. Tool. Uh, <laughs> the most important part of that track title. <laughs> you've been listening to Agenda on FBI Radio. If you've missed anything that we've talked about today, you can just head to fbiradio.com and click on the Agenda tab to see all of the playlisted songs and all of the um, great chats that we've had with people throughout the last hour. That's it. <laughs> I'm gonna shake my ass. I love you.